All right, good morning, everyone. How are y'all doing? Are you awake? Yeah, a few of you, a little bit. Hey, I want to say thanks to the band, and uh, it's great to have Daniel back with us, and great to have Lori back with us, and um, just so thankful for uh, our volunteers and our band members. Duncan, you've been just a faithful presence each Sunday as a drummer, and um, so thankful for you guys using your gifts to lead us in worship. Um, today, it's good to be back, right? Good old Memphis weather. You feel the AC on? We've got the air conditioning on in here, so <laughs> we do. Last week, um, we've seen about a 71 degree temperature swing. It's going to be 72 today. It was one a week and a half ago, so, you know, you never know, Memphis weather. Um, it's great to be back with you. Ironically enough, last Sunday I was going to preach on rest, and God gave us the opportunity to experience rest through this snowstorm, and uh, I, don't, I doubt we'll ever see snow and ice like that, in, in, at least in my lifetime, again here. So we had an opportunity to experience rest. And now we're going to learn about rest today. Hope, hope you guys had fun in all that snow. Um, I know our family did. We actually went down um, to Harbor Town, to the bluffs, and uh, we sledded down the bluffs, and someone had made like a, a ramp out of a 4 by 8 sheet of plywood. And some of my kids with younger backs than mine figured out that they could jump the ramp in a little plastic sled and catch about four feet of air before they smack the ground. So I let them have fun with that, and uh, I hope you had fun. Um, we're in this series, Awakening, and we've been in this series for about five weeks, and we've been praying that God would awaken our hearts, that we would experience renewal, that we would experience more of God, and that we would hear from God in such a way that we might be changed, because corporate change only takes place through personal renewal. Corporate change and revival and God's work always begins with personal renewal in us. And so we've been pursuing that. And we've been practicing some ways in which we can create space in our life to draw near to God. Those things have been prayer and fasting. We've invited you to pray at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. And use this pause app that many of you have been using and pausing throughout your day invited you to fast on Tuesdays from breakfast and lunch or from social media or from technology or whatever God might call you to fast from. And I've said this over and over again. These spiritual disciplines, they are a means to an end. They are not an end in themselves. Meaning, they don't make us holy. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus in order to fast. You can just fast for weight loss. A lot of people are doing that uh, these days. They're doing intermittent fasting, right? So there's nothing quote-unquote spiritual about fasting or even reading your Bible. You can read your Bible and gain more knowledge. And if you're not obedient to Jesus, uh, you can be further from Him with a harder heart. So these disciplines are merely ways that we can, in a sense, create space in our busy lives and create a place for faith to grow and experience God so that 
God's not being choked out of our lives by all just the cares of the world. By all our instant, you know, neurological movements toward technology that's almost like someone who's trying to quit smoking. You know what I mean? Every time these things buzz, we're in response to them. And so we've been practicing these things. And the last sermon that we looked at two weeks ago, it's really important. I want to pick up with that sermon. But in that sermon, we impact one of the keys to renewal is ongoing repentance. Remember we talked about this? That Latin phrase that Martin Luther made uh, so, so well known. Simul, Eustace, et peccator. That we are simultaneously saints and sinners. And we need to understand this and we need to know this because we have been justified. Because of Jesus' righteousness, God looks at us as if we have never sinned. You say, how does that work? We are simultaneously saints and we are sinners. Jesus' righteousness imputed to us. And we need to be reminded of this because we know that our sin is ever before us, right? We are very well acquainted with our sin. Jealousy, envy, lust. You yelled at the kids, maybe this morning. Some of you murdered someone yesterday. Seriously, Jesus said, if you are angry in your heart toward your brother, it's like murder. Like our sin is ever before us. And that's why our Savior must be even ever more before us. That we would be even more aware of Jesus and His love for us. And last, or two weeks ago, we looked at this idea that the only way that we are going to move toward regular repentance, daily repentance regularly coming back to Jesus, is if we come to understand that Jesus is sympathetic with us. Jesus is sympathetic with us as we struggle in our sin. He understands. He is a man who is well acquainted with what it looks like to struggle in this world. And so we looked at this idea that that as we see Jesus who is sympathetic with us, that He understands, that He welcomes us with open arms. It causes us to run to Him and to experience renewal on an ongoing basis. And so we said that repentance opens the door to rest. Now, today, I want to talk about rest. We said last week, uh, repentance opens the door to rest. And we talked a lot about repentance. So today, I want to talk to you about rest. And some of you may be surprised by that. The last sermon in a series on renewal... In praying for God to bring about revival and awakening in our hearts and in our lives and in our city, that we would end it talking about rest. Some of you are probably thinking, Pastor, are you sure we don't need to be talking about prayer more? Are you sure we don't need to be talking about more about religion and holiness and all these things that we're not doing that we should be doing? And the truth is... We will only be able to experience ongoing renewal when we learn what it means to truly rest in Jesus as a way of life. Now, I want to give you a quick caveat. Because when instantly, when I say to rest in Jesus, many of you, if you've grown up in the church, you instantly kind of go to this siloed mentality, which is that, okay, he's going to talk about Sabbath. 
And Sabbath is this idea that we take a day to rest, and so we silo our rest, and then, then we spend like six days working, okay? And that's not what I'm talking about when it comes to rest, although Sabbath is important. Sabbath was so important that, we'll look at this in just a second, that when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and he was teaching them how to live as a nation, he only gave them ten rules to live by. It was simple stuff like don't murder. Uh, When you come home from work, let your wife still be your wife, so don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. It was like simple rules, and one of them was Sabbath. So God thought that Sabbath was pretty important But when I'm talking about rest, I'm not talking about rest in a siloed sort of way that's simply one day a week. I'm talking about a kind of rest, a type of soul rest that you would think of almost like a wave that comes in and out of your life all week long. I mean, teachers, what would it be like to return to in-person school tomorrow with with children coming back into your classrooms and to experience a soul type of rest in which you are at peace. In which you're not, you know, running trying to fix everything. In which you're trying to control everything and make everybody happy and make everything perfect. You know what that's called? It's called, it's called enmeshment. When we begin to, to try to make sure that we control everything and, and make sure everybody's happy with us and make sure that everything's just right. It's codependency. What would it be like if you were able to live this kind of emotionally differentiated life in which you experience peace and you're not like, you're not on the other side of of enmeshment, which is just like completely throwing your feelings to the side and just, just being completely stoic, but that you're able to experience peace You're able to enter into where people are suffering and identify with them and even pray for them, but not pick up their burdens and carry them as if they're yours to fix. Does that sound like a good way to live? What would it be like if you could experience the kind of soul rest that when you wake up in the mornings, your first thoughts in the direction of your heart doesn't lean toward anxiety and nervousness? Jesus offers us that kind of rest. In fact, today we're going to look at this big idea. We're made to work from our rest, not rest from our work. We're made to work from our rest, not rest from our work. We're going to go back and look. Grab a Bible, if you would, and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to go all the way back to the beginning because that's always the best place to pick up a story in the beginning. And I want you to pretend for a moment that you've never heard this story before. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And I'm going to read through chapter 2, verse 3. Then God said... Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them and God said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. 
And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now I want you to stop and think with me for just a moment. When you think of God and you think of who He is and and when you think of His posture toward us, I want you to listen to His first command given to humans. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Does that sound like a good God? God's first command. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Do you think God had good things in store for Adam and Eve? Like we've read this story so often that we've become so familiar with it that we don't even really understand the goodness of God? Keep in mind, they were naked. Like, God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Like, figure it out. God had good things planned for Adam and Eve. It gets better. Listen, he goes on and he says, and God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, jump over to verse 15 of chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So get this picture of what life looked like in the first days for Adam and Eve. When you think about this with me, and I brought the whiteboard up here because I want you to remember this. I could have put it on the screens and I could have made a graphic, but I want you to remember what life was like for Adam and Eve. Mike Breen in 3DM Ministries has done a great job illustrating this, and he's illustrated it with a semicircle. So if you think about Adam and Eve's life, they... Think about it with a semicircle and, and kind of like a pendulum. So God created man and woman. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That was the sixth day. He looked at everything and said, it's good. And then on the seventh day, the first day of Adam and Eve's life, what did they do? They rested. And so God established this rhythm of life in which God says the first thing Adam and Eve, that I want you to do is just to rest. The first thing that I want you to do is to abide with me. The first thing that I want you to do is to be in relationship with me. This is first. This is foremost. This is primary. Nothing else matters if if we don't understand resting and abiding. And then after that, we see this rhythm. And we're going to look at it in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 3 in just a minute. Where Adam and Eve, from their rest, they would then work. And so because they found rest and abiding with God, 
they were fruitful in their work. As they, as they worked, they were fruitful. And as they rested, they abided. And we see this kind of natural rhythm, if you will, of living with God in which they would just kind of go back and forth. And I'm going to call that life in the Spirit. And you see this illustrated, if you look in the New Testament, in the book of John that we just finished studying you see it illustrated when Jesus talks about what's John 15 all about? Abiding. And then before he talks about abiding, he says, hey, in John 14, he says, I'm going to give you a spirit. <coughs> and then he says, if you abide in that spirit, in chapter 16, he says, you're going to do great works. You're going to be really fruitful. So like we see this illustrated from the beginning. We see it illustrated again as Jesus talks about his desire to bring the Spirit to us. Why? That we would remain consistently and constantly in fellowship with him. But what happened? Look at chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, <coughs> Where are you? As we seek renewal today in our lives, as we seek rest, the first step of seeking God in renewal is realizing that God is calling out to us, where are you? Get a picture of what happened for Adam and Eve. They've been in this rhythm of rest. And from their rest, they find fruitfulness in their work. And it's not just in a seven-day cycle. It's, it seems that verses 8 and 9, would the implication is that daily... God would meet with them in the cool of the day. I don't know if that's the morning or the evening. Many people think it's the evening. But God, it seems, on a daily basis would come and He would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. What do you think they talked about? Any ideas? I, I think, India, I think they probably talked about the, the newest and coolest bugs they had discovered. Honestly. And they said, God, look what we found in the garden today. You know, what, what, what do you think we should call this one? And he said, I don't know. I left that up to you. You have dominion. You subdue it. I think they said, God, we figured out that we could plant this or that this grows. or We found this new fruit. And they were just finding all this great creation that God had made for them. And they were enjoying relationship with God and relationship with one another. I mean, this was like the best date you've ever had with your spouse. And it's the best. You know those dates where you just like really have a connection and you talk and you don't have to think about what to talk about. And you talk about things that just seem like they're really meaningful. And you could talk for hours and you're like, oh my goodness, we've been talking for like three hours. And this is, we're just so connected. And your best friend's there and it's not weird. Could you imagine what that's like? 
Like God's there is the third will and it's not weird. It's even better. That's what Adam and Eve are experiencing. But something happens. Adam and Eve no longer believe that God knows what is best. They, they lose trust in God. And in the moment where they lose trust in God, where they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what happens to them? They lose rest. They move from a restfulness with God and fellowship with God to restlessness. In fact, their whole lives become broken. Their whole lives fall apart. Their lives are shattered. Their relationship with one another is shattered. So much that they realize that they're naked and ashamed. Their relationship with God is shattered. Their relationship with their own children will be shattered because as a result of sin, one of their, one of their sons will murder the other son. I mean, they experience the greatest level of brokenness and loss and pain and restlessness that you can imagine. Now, we begin to learn from their story that wherever we are not trusting in God, wherever we are experiencing restlessness, is the area in our life where God is saying, return to me. Come to me. And God shows us what that looks like. And I want to just take you to a passage of Scripture that you're really familiar with. So turn to Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. I've preached on this so many different times. And I probably preach on it a lot because I need to hear it. Because I'm the personality type that struggles with rest. And so, in this text, Jesus says these words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. These words are crucial for us to understand the type of renewal that God wants to bring in into our lives, and we will not experience it until we see Jesus' desire to continually come to Him in order to find rest. I want you to think for just a moment of all the titles that Jesus could have used. In this moment, Jesus is saying, He is showing us a picture of His heart. He is showing us a picture of who He really is. And He says... Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus is saying that the only quality or the only the thing that qualifies you to come to him is your burden. That's the second thing that we see in coming to Jesus and finding renewal. It's actually your burden that qualifies you to come to Jesus. And so if you think about that, all Jesus is saying is, the only thing that I am requiring of you is that you would be vulnerable about what you're actually experiencing and where you really need me. And Jesus labels all of us. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. That covers everyone. 
I mean, this idea of labor, I can probably identify with this an awful lot. I kind of think of it as someone who is trying to crowbar their way through life. So they're laboring, and there's someone who is disciplined. They have a lot of self-will and hard work. Maybe they've got great charisma, and they are going to crowbar their way through life. It is, but it is hard work. They are laboring. And then Jesus also describes those who are heavy laden. It's those people who have taken on such burdens upon themselves that they are literally the picture of, of like a mule or a pack horse or a donkey who is heavy laden, who has so much upon them that they struggle to stand up because they are carrying a burden that God never intended for them to carry. That they are trying to control their worlds. Now I want you to do something for a minute. This is going to require some vulnerability. I want you to turn to a neighbor, and I just want you to share with them. In your life, which do you identify more with? Do you identify more with someone who labors? Or do you identify more as someone who is heavy laden? And if you want to share what that thing is, you're welcome to do that. But just turn to someone. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy. To Jesus, that all of us have areas of our life in which we need to find rest. In which we labor and are heavy laden. The third thing that I want you to see when it comes to renewal is that Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. When he says this, we're familiar with these words, but we really have no idea what they mean. When Jesus says, in heart, he's not just talking about, oh, I'm in love with someone, my heart. That's not, that's not the sense at all of what he's talking about. The heart was the center of all desire. The heart was the center of the will. The heart was um, what I look back on with sympathy and what I look forward to with vision. The heart controlled everything. That's why in the Proverbs that we would see, guard your heart, for from it are the wellsprings of life. So Jesus is saying, get this picture. If you really want to know what the Savior is like, if you really want to boil it down to who Jesus is at His foundation, if He could just choose two words... He doesn't say miraculous and amazing. He doesn't say that his finger is pointed at you or that he's judgmental. He says that he is the most approachable person who has ever stepped foot on this planet. That he is gentle and lowly in heart. And when you look up that word gentle, it's only found in the New Testament in the Greek about three times. And it carries the idea in the other translations of meek, of humble. Jesus is saying, you will not find a person more approachable than I am. That I am gentle and lowly in heart. That he is accessible. Now, most of us don't believe that, do we? And here's the problem. Some of you go, oh, I got no problem with Jesus. It's God the Father that I struggle with. Do you think 
that Jesus' values are different than those values of the Father or the Spirit. We see different functions within what theologians have called the Trinity. But do you think that Jesus' desire is different than the desire of the Father? Jesus says that he is gentle and lowly in heart. Finally, he says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And this is like irony of ironies, that Jesus would say his yoke is easy. A yoke was something that was placed on oxen or on uh, mules or donkeys as they worked, and it kept them together. It kept them in parallel. So if you have a young animal who's not yet broken well, and you're trying to, you're trying to plow up ground with it, you can't have this young animal that's constantly running and going crazy and going fast and slow and making your rows zigzag. No, you need, you need slow, you need steady, you need a pace. And Jesus is saying, I am gentle and I am lowly and I am offering you a place beside me in my yoke. Would you come And would you walk with me? And would you let me show you the ways of the Savior? He did that with the disciples for three and a half years. He never moved more than three miles per hour. He didn't have a day timer. The iPhone hadn't been invented. And he changed the world. And he invites us to enter into a way of life with him in which we can find rest. I don't know what that looks like for you. And this is where it gets interesting. Because we all have different personalities. And so there is no exact formula for this. But I'll tell you the way that God has shown me rest in the last few weeks as we've been preaching this series. If you flip over to John 5 verse 19. A friend Richard challenged me with this verse several weeks ago. And he challenged me at a point in my life where uh, I'm going to be 45 this year and I can't keep moving at the same pace that I've been moving at. Uh, I'm going to physical therapy right now for my shoulder because I acted crazy this summer and tried to redo my whole yard in like a few weeks. And uh, Katie was crazy with me. And we moved like... Tons and tons and tons of sod and dirt and concrete and jackhammered stuff. And now I have a frozen shoulder as a result. That's getting better. But I can't keep moving at the pace that I've moved at my whole life. And I know that in my life as a pastor, I need to be moving from competency toward communion more and more. But I've struggled with doing that. I've especially struggled in this last year when our other full-time employee, who was our music director, um, left to go to another church and, and to go to seminary. And all of a sudden, in the midst of a pandemic, all these new responsibilities are laid on me, and I've got half the staff that I normally have. And I'm going, Lord, how do I balance all this stuff? And around the first of the year, <clears throat> Richard, on a Saturday, sent me John five nineteen. And it says, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus' key to living 
at a place of rest was that he only did what he saw the Father doing. And Richard said to me, what would it be like if you just asked God what you need to do and then you only did what God tells you to do? And typically, when I would get a text like that, I would either be sarcastic or cynical and go like, oh yeah, like who does that? Who stands in the grocery aisle and goes, God, which cheese should I buy? Does anybody, you, do you feel me on this? Like that struggle between does God really speak to us? But I was so desperate in my life, I was like, I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of living with anxiety. I'm tired of living with never getting things done. I'm tired of living with always making mental to-do lists that never get completed, which ultimately causes me not just to be unhappy with myself, but unhappy with others. And so I said, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. And the next week, as I did this, it was a busy week. I got to like Thursday. And I'm supposed to take Fridays off, and I rarely have. In fact, I quit taking Fridays off. I was working six days a week. Uh, ever since our former employee left, because I was just like, there's just a lot to do. And I was supposed to take Friday off, and Thursday came, and I had like one day to write a sermon, hadn't even started on it. And I prayed that morning, and it was like God said, hey, just trust me. You don't need to spend 12 hours on a sermon. I got this, just knock it out. Whatever I give you will be good. And the more that I started working on it, it was like 7.30 in the morning, I said, God, okay, I'm going to trust you in this. I started working. I said, God, this is going pretty good. He said, yeah, you can do it in three hours. I was like, what? And I ended up taking a nap because <laughs> I'd gotten here at like 530 that morning for a prayer time. I took a nap. I took a break. And by 1130, I was done. And when I got done with that sermon, a bunch of y'all came up to me and said, hey, that was pretty good. Like God, God said this to me and God said this to me. And I really liked that, that you did this. And I was like, God, it seemed like that worked. Like, I trusted God, and God did what God needed to do, and I didn't do all this extra stuff. Now, has it been that perfect every week? No, I still struggle. I still find myself, when I start feeling that anxiety growing up, or like, oh, you need to go back in the carpet, or you need to do this, or you need to do that. It's like, no, 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 no. Has God told you to do that? And what I discovered in my life was that I had filled my days with dozens and dozens of tasks that God never told me to do. That I would see some of you in your life, I'd see you struggling, and I'd say, oh, let's go to lunch, or you'd ask me, hey, can you help me with this? And my intentions were that I wanted to fix you. And God has shown me over and over again, you know what, I'm not in the business of you fixing people, Brad. I'm in the business of healing people. And that requires them not to go to you, but to go to the cross. And to surrender themselves to me. And that's a much better plan. Because if I fix you, you'll just keep coming back to me. But if you go to Jesus, and Jesus gives you rest, and you find help and healing in Him, and you find fellowship, this renewed sense, this rhythm of like, I found rest in Jesus, and now I can trust Him for my work, and I can be fruitful, and it will be enough. That then you'll keep going back to Him. And so I want to challenge you this morning. We're going to do something as we end today. And, uh, you know, we don't have, like, come-down invitations. Um, but I want to do something that's a little different today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask uh, just a few people to go stand at the back and to be there to pray with you.
And if you have an area in your life that God has pinpointed where you want to find rest, I just want you to go find somebody in the back. And, and this is simple. It, it doesn't have to be weird. That's what I found. Like, like we make God and the Holy Spirit, like we make, we make this so weird, but God is saying, I just want you to have fellowship with me. I just want to walk with you in the cool of the day. I want to give you the best date ever. I want you to find rest in your soul. And so I'm just going to invite you, if there's an area in your life that you need rest, that you would just go and that you would just share, share with them. And you don't, this is not like, we don't have an hour. This is not like counseling time. It's just like, tell them what it is. You don't have to tell them all the details. Just say, what, I need you to pray for my work. You might share something. God knows what it is. And then let them pray over you. There's something powerful that happens when we, in community, name what God is stirring in our hearts and in which someone else prays over us. We allow the Spirit to work in such a way that we can't experience alone. You say, chapter and verse that, Brad. It's the whole reason why we're here. Like, if you could experience that alone, then don't come. Just get on the live stream. But we need the community of others. And there's something that happens when we name what God is doing and when we hear God's words to us as someone else prays over us that our spirit identifies with what God is telling them in their spirit and God speaks to us. And so I, I want to invite you to do that. 1 Peter 5, 6-7, I want to end with this. Peter writes, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Peter, I love Peter's writing, he gets right to the point. He says, all you've got to do is be humble and vulnerable. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Peter's just saying, all you got to do is be humble, be vulnerable, be honest, and then be needy. And folks, here is our greatest issue. Who is the cutest in the world? God. God's cutest in the world. But on earth, isn't it babies and puppies? Aren't they like the cutest? Why are they so cute? Well, part of it is they're so needy. Puppies wouldn't be nearly as cute if they didn't fall asleep and need you just to care for them. Babies, they're just so needy. And it's through their need, because they have so much need, that we're able to extend so much love to them. Do you realize that if you never have needs, if you're the person in a relationship who's never needy, then you'll never be loved. Why did God love us? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. The greatest gift of love ever. Why? Because we were the greatest need. We were sinners. And so why in the world would we be a people who walk around like we don't have needs? The only way to come to Jesus and find rest in Him is to constantly be needy. And to say, I don't have what it takes. But Jesus does. And so I want to be in fellowship with Him.
And I want to, I need his spirit. And I need his help. And when we do that, we find refreshment in him. We find peace. So I'm just going to ask a few people if they would. And listen, if you're on the live stream and you're like, hey, I want to be a part of this. It sounds cool. Um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, um, I want you to leave a comment that says, pray for me. And we'll have one of our volunteers who is praying to call you as soon as our service is over, and they will pray over you. So just leave a comment that says, pray for me. And if we don't have your phone number, you may want to put your, your phone number there, um, and uh, we'll pray over you. So I'm just going to ask a few people. Um, I'm going to ask, Katie, would you, if you would, just go to the back? And I'm asking them to go to the back, because our worship team is going to come up to the front, and I'm just scared you're not going to be able to hear if you're up here. So Katie, if you would go to the back. Richard, if you wouldn't mind. Um, Ben, you're back there. If you could pray over some people. Bill, would you mind going to the back? And, and if you have a need and you want to find rest, just go to the back and share with them what your need is and ask them to pray over you. I'm not saying that this is going to bring complete healing. This is the step along the way in which we learn and practice what it means to find rest in Jesus. So I'm going to ask the band to come up if they would. And uh, I'm going to pray and the band's going to uh, play a song over us. And I just invite you to go and seek prayer. Father, thank you that we can find rest in you. Jesus, you seem to make it so easy. But God, we have so many filters and so many uh, things that cause us to not want to ask for help. I know I do. I want to be self-sufficient. I don't like asking for help. I want to act like I have it together. But God, I don't. I'm so in need of you every day. Struggled to sleep last night. I was awake every hour of the night for some reason. Just ironically preaching on rest and struggling to rest. God, I need you. I need your spirit. We need your power. But God, when we come to you, we find joy in you. When we turn away from the idols and the control that we've taken and we give these things back to you, when we unload our burdens, Jesus, we find rest in you. And so, God, that's what we're seeking today. I pray that you would give us courage through your spirit to go and to find rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and uh, to sing. And if you would like to go and seek prayer and ask for rest, you can do that.